You can have a seat. You can have a seat. I love that song. Dry bones rattling. I'm coming out. I'm going to live again. Mm. Come on, somebody. And that sounds awesome in a song, doesn't it? Like a dead body coming back in, in a song. But, it, but in, in real life, I'll be honest with you, if a dead body came back to life, I'd wet myself. Um, and, and that's really one of my fears. Like if you've ever, okay, this is just me, confession time right off the bat. Um, at a funeral or a place where I'm ever around a dead body, inside of me, like I'm the pastor on the outside, you know, doing what I need to do. But on the inside, there's this little voice that's like, they could open their eyes. And I'm like worried, am I the only one or does anybody else just think, there's, see, because when, the, when there's a body, there's like still a little bit of hope, like maybe, maybe, maybe. I, Patty and I used to live in Honduras and uh, the guy behind us died. We lived in a house and there was a little hut behind us and I didn't know he died. And the pastor comes to the, our house early in the morning. He's like, in Spanish, he says, hey, can I borrow the truck? And I said, well, yeah, you can borrow my truck, what for? And he said, I need to go into the city and get a, but I didn't understand the noun that he used. And nouns are important, right? I mean, what are you going to get? Eggs, a bucket of nails, a hooker? What are you going for? And so I kept asking and kept asking and kept asking, what, I, what are you going for? What are you going for? And finally he broke it down to like my level of Spanish. And he, was, he said, necesito una caja para un muerto. Oh, a box for a dead guy. Coffin, got it. And so he went and got the coffin, box for a dead guy. And I went and helped them put this guy in the, in the box, the caja para muerte. And um, he had been laying out for two days, um, and not embalmed, and on a table in this little dirt floor hut and in, in tropical rainforest humidity. Come on, anybody ever, you, you're, you're tracking with me, you're tracking with me. And as we're lifting, and see, you're thinking right now, Craig, you were a missionary. This was your opportunity to lay hands on a body that's not been embalmed. You know there's hope in this thing. You can pray for him and resurrect him from the dead and everyone will shout and it will be glorious. And I did pray as we were lifting him in there, I, but my prayer was probably not what you're thinking. I was praying, oh dear God, stay dead, stay dead, stay dead. <laughs> Because it'll mess with, I mean, come on, be honest. If you're moving about, you're, and that guy opens his eyes, you'll wet yourself. You know you will. And when it's a body, there's still like a little bit of hope. I mean, it's like maybe. But when it's a pile of dry bones, a dusty pile of dry bones in a dark place, there's no hope whatsoever. That's one of the most hopeless things in the world. Okay, here's the cool thing about today. Get this. Jesus Christ, in the, from the unseen world, looked down and saw how the sins of humanity was destroying us, how it was killing our hopes, it was decimating our dreams. The sins of humanity was causing relationships to be broken, messed up, destroyed, and he decided to do something about it. And so here's what he did. Jesus, from the unseen world, tore a portal between the unseen world and the seen world, and he stepped through. And he walked on the dust of this earth and lived for numerous years a sinless perfect life, yet he was still betrayed, tried, and convicted as a reprobate criminal. And the devil laughed and said, <laughs> mocked him. You know, there's a bunch of scriptures about Jesus, the devil mocking Jesus. And the devil said, he was like, oh, you thought, you thought that you could step into my world and go ahead and pour your living water and all this humanity of dry bones. Ha, you got another thing coming. And so he said, I'm going to make you just like all the rest of them. So 
Jesus went to the cross, and he died. And the devil thought he had won, but here's the cool thing. Jesus was no ordinary man because the bone doctor went ahead and went to the tomb of humanity, and he conquered death, hell, and the grave and poured living water on all the dry bones around and changed everybody's life forever, forever, forever. That excites these two sections. What's y'all's problem? This is, this is so cool. It changed, it changed absolutely everything. And now, I know you're probably like me, okay? Just being completely honest, because we're people, right? You probably have areas, just like I do in our life, where, where things are dead, whether it's in your relationships or your family or your personal life. But it's, it's kind of like that body, okay? As weird as that sounds. There's, it's dead, it's lifeless, you, but there's a little bit of hope. You know, you're praying for certain things in your life, and you're not really seeing any life in those but you're praying for it. it might be the wayward child that's just gone off the tracks, and, but they're not so far gone, you know, that you're still, you're still believing, hey, it's going to happen. Or maybe your marriage, you're fighting really bad, and things in the home are just like, right? Okay? And but you're not giving up. You're still praying. You're still, you're still hoping because that's there. We all have those areas. But I also think, and this is what today is all about, I also think all of us, all of us have those areas, whether it's one or two areas, it's probably not a lot, one or two areas where it's not a body where there's a little bit of hope. It's a pile of dry bones where there is no hope. You've given up on it. It's dusty. It's hopeless. You think it will never live again, and you forgot all about it. And even as I'm talking about it today for the next few minutes, it's going to bring some things up in you, and you're going to be like, oh, I left that 15 years ago because I thought it would never happen, but I'm here to tell you today that it can live again. It can live again. Now think about the disciples for a second. Okay, so the disciples, they, Jesus dies on Friday, okay, and we have the audacity to call it Good Friday. I guarantee the disciples never once said, well, isn't this a humdinger of a Friday? <laughs> TGIF, right? No, these guys, the disciples, you have to understand, they gave up everything to follow Jesus. I mean, they put all their chips to the middle of the table. They left their families. I mean, think about Matthew, one of the disciples. He gave up a lucrative business, very lucrative, to follow Jesus. And they think Jesus, they believe Jesus is the Messiah. He's going to change the Roman world, the Greek world, the Hebrew world. He's going to change it all, and they're going to be right there with him. And then Jesus has the audacity to die on Friday, right? And you know that they didn't say, that's a good Friday. They said, this is a horrible, no good, very bad day. And then Saturday makes it even worse, right? You talk about a day of just darkness. They put all of their hopes in something, all of their hopes in something, in someone, and it doesn't go the way they expect. And like that, a situation that's filled of hope and faith turns to a pile of dry bones. Now, some of you might be in that situation where you, you, got, you got the doctor's report this week, and all of a sudden, the, the, the diagnosis in that room sucked the oxygen out of the air, and you're just like, I, 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 I didn't see that coming. Or maybe you're struggling, and you, got, you didn't see it was coming, and you got divorce papers filed to you, and you're just like, oh, oh my goodness. Or maybe you're younger, and you, found, you just heard that your mom and dad sat you down and said, we're getting a divorce. And now the home that you were believing in, the solid home that you were believing in, is now parted and divided. And all of a sudden, as a young person, you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm in, I was in a hope-filled situation, and now I'm in a hopeless situation. Whatever it is, we have those areas where it just seems 
hopeless. And when we have those dry bone areas, those hopeless situations, here's one of the things it does. I'm going to tell you two things it does. Here's the first one that does. And take notes. Fill in the blank. This is important stuff. You can learn and grow. And while you're here, you can get one of the free notebooks out in the lobby. We call it join the click because at the end of the service, everybody closes them and it's like a click. So if you want, I want to be in the click. They're free. Go get one. Okay. Here, here's the first thing that it does. Saturday, these Fridays and Saturdays of despair, they inoculate us with fear. Inoculate us with fear. John 20, verse 19 says this. On the evening of that first day of the week, now this is the Sunday right after the crucifixion, okay? Um, that Sunday, in the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for, for what? That was a little weak. Come on. It's Easter. We can do better. With the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. That word fear is, the Greek word is phobius, and it's where we get our word phobia, okay? Um, and phobia, I have a phobia. Um, I didn't know I had a phobia. It's got three things, three symptoms, but this is a real phobia. Ophidiophobia. I had to read it because I can't pronounce it unless I look at it. Ophidiophobia. It's the fear of snakes. Anybody else have ophidiophobia? It's followed, you know you have it if you have three symptoms. When you see a snake, you quickly run the opposite direction while squealing like a little girl and wetting yourself the whole way. <laughs> ophidiophobia. That's what, I, that's what I've got. I hate snakes. <laughs> My daughter, Phoebe, she used to struggle. She's older now, but when she was about 10, 11, she used to struggle with night terrors. I mean, she would just, she'd go to her room, and she'd get all overcome with fear, and you're going to judge me and Patty's parenting skills right here, but I'm just going to tell you what we did anyway. So almost every night, she would come, it'd be like, you know, 11 o'clock, midnight, she'd come to our room, she'd come downstairs, and she'd come in, Mom, Dad, and you're like, what? Spit it out. It's the same thing every night. I'm scared of what? I don't know. Well, then there's no problem. And every time she says the same thing, I just, I just want to get in bed with you guys. It'll make me feel better. And we respond, I, right here's where you're going to judge us. I know what you're going to, you're, that's just cruel. I said, you ain't getting in this bed. This ain't your bed. This is me and mom's bed. We paid for it, and I even bought you one too. <laughs> and yours is upstairs, but if I could just lay with you. No. no, you're not sleeping in this bed, and I ain't sleeping in your bed. Let me teach you a scripture. And I taught Phoebe this scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, and she can memorize it even to this day. For the spirit of the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And I say, just go quote that. You'll be better. Okay, so she goes upstairs. And this went on, I mean, over and over again. Well, her little brother Noah had this idea that if my sister is that scared, I can make it worse. <laughs> and so one night, and he, we didn't know he was doing this. Phoebe goes in the bathroom to get ready for bed or whatever. And Noah goes in her room and slides underneath her bed. And he waits. And he was about eight years old at this time. So you think about the patience of this eight-year-old to just ruin his sister's life. I am so proud of him. Okay, so <laughs> he's under the bed, and she comes in, and she climbs in bed, and she's petting the little dog. You know, she has a little dog and saying this stuff. And Noah's under the bed just waiting. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes to where Phoebe is just starting to go to sleep. And he slides out from underneath the bed, 
and gets right in her face and went, ah! <laughs> She had dianoiophobia. I mean, she, she went everywhere. It was awesome. It was awesome. And you might say, so did you punish Noah? No, I gave that boy high fives all day long. It was the best ever. Okay, and so this whole fear thing, fear locks God out. But here's one of the dilemmas with fear in church. There are so many people probably in this house right now where you are, you won't say it out loud, but inside you're more scared of God than you are running to God. And we've been raised and taught this horrible theology, this horrible teaching that God is waiting to strike us dead. He's waiting for us to sin so he can just ruin our lives. And we think it so much that when something goes wrong in our lives, we think to ourselves, I wonder what I did wrong to deserve this. So what you're saying with that is God's waiting to punish me or mess up my life so there's a little bit of fear there. I was raised in a church. I said this last week. I was raised in a Pentecostal Church of God church. And let me just tell you, everything was based on fear. Every single thing. Because every single service, it didn't matter what he preached. It didn't matter what the preacher preached. Every service ended this way. Even when we had different pastors, every service ended this way. There's always the pause, right? Because it gets everybody's attention. Even the kids are like, what's he going to say? Same thing every Sunday. Is there sin in your life? If you have any sin, if you've done anything wrong and leave this place and get hit by a truck, you will die and burn in hell. <laughs> Hell's a horrible place. You don't want to go there. It's a lot like Horn Lake, but different. It's... <laughs> I'm just kidding. He didn't say horn like. Okay, but it was always. <laughs> hey, everybody. So it was, it was this, it was always this fear. It was, and you gotta understand, that's not the Bible, that's not what the New Testament teaches. You realize God leaves everything to track us down, not to destroy us and kill us, but to save us and lift us up. He said he leaves all the Christians, all them 99 and others, to go after the one that's struggling the most, the one that their whole life is nothing but a pile of dry bones. God says, I'm coming after you, not to get you, but to love you and restore you and build you back up. Where did we get this crazy idea that he's angry at us? Where? It's not there. He loves you so much, he sent his only son for us. Hello? That's mind-blowing. So if you're here and you're, you're still got that little bit of fear of God in you, well, the Bible says we're supposed to fear the Lord. That's the wrong definition of that word. That's respect and to honor and to lift up. Okay, that, that's what that fear in the Bible means, old King James Version. Anyway, okay, so it's, it's not what it means. God loves you so much. He'll get everything out of the way to find you, and he wants to hold on to you so, so bad. Okay, so... Don't let fear lock him out. Some of you were told that he's a hater, but I'm here to tell you he's a healer. And the only way you can have your dry bones healed and restored and the water of living water poured on those dry bones, those places of desperation and hopelessness, is to unlock the door and let the king of kings come into your life. It's the only way. Here's the, here's the second one. So the dry bones, those situations cause fear to get in us. The second one is dry bones actually, they cause issues, cause us to revert back, to, to go back to an old way. Now, there's this guy named Peter. He was actually kind of the lead disciple. He ends up leading the New Testament church after Jesus, you know, after the book of Acts and all that. While Jesus was arrested and he was being tortured and all that, Peter, you can go back and read this, Peter denies even knowing Jesus three times, three times. And so 
There was this whole struggle, and yes, Jesus said that he would do it, and yeah, Peter ended up doing it. People said, are you, Peter, are you, with, are you with this guy named Jesus? No, no, no. And it got so bad, one of the times, Peter even cusses the person out and just lays them, lays them bare and all that. And so, okay, so now, check this out. Peter denies him all these times. Jesus comes back from the dead, okay? He's crucified, comes back from the dead, like we just read a minute ago, and he's, he shows up, shows him the hands and, and you know, feet and side and all that. And so now, Jesus is back. He's hanging out with his disciples for 40 days. He's popping into rooms. He's popping out of rooms. He's eating meals with them and all that stuff. And even though he's back walking amongst them, Peter is still struggling because he knows that he denied Jesus three times and nothing's been said about it. And there's a little bit of fear in him. There's a little bit of, oh my goodness, I went back. And, and so he's, Peter is struggling with shame and disillusionment. And so he gets to this point in John 21, <laughs> Peter said, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. Now that might not be a big deal to you, but you got to remember when, when Jesus called Peter, he was a fisherman. And so Peter is saying, listen, when things are going back, I'm going back to what I know. I'm just going back to what I know. This isn't really going like I thought it would. He's filled with shame. He's filled with this regret and disappointment, and it's a struggle. And where he's at right now is nothing compared to the glory days that he used to have with Jesus. I mean, when you think about it, when he was walking with Jesus before the crucifixion, they, Jesus was like healing people, bringing people back from the dead, feeding thousands of people with a Lunchable. I mean, this was like amazing. And one of the best times Peter had was when Jesus changed his name. This was an identity changing moment for Peter. And Peter skips over this and goes back to what he was before. Check out this verse. This is so awesome. Matthew 16, verse 17. This is actually before Jesus died on the cross. This is like earlier in the, in the story. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, and he's talking to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Now that's his name before Jesus changed it to Peter. Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. Okay, so he's changing his name here. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So he's setting Peter up. He's changing his name to that. Simon Barjona. Okay, you can fill this in in the, in the blanks there. Simon means reed-like or wavering, going back and forth, waffling back and forth. That's what, that's what Simon means. And then Bar-Jonah means the son of Jonas, and that can be translated as wine-bibber, okay? So you can roughly translate his name as unstable son of a drunk. <laughs> unstable son of a drunk. You can't make up your mind. You're back and forth. The minute things get a little bit difficult, you're going the other direction. You're, you're, you're unstable, you're unstable. And so, remember they're at the, they're, they're, Peter went fishing? Okay, so we're back to that part of the story. You all track with me? Okay, so they go back, and they're fishing, and they come to the shore, and when they're done fishing, they come to the shore, and there's Jesus appeared again. He's got a campfire made. He's like, hey, man, let's have breakfast. You all have been fishing all night. Bring some of the fish. And they sit down, and they're having breakfast. And John 21, 15, after they had had breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, now pay attention to this. Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Son of Jonah, okay? Unstable son of a drunk. Now, Jesus is going all the way back to before he changed his name. Do you burn with love for me more than these? You got to remember, Peter denied him and, and all that, so now Jesus is calling this all into question. Do you love me more than the rest of these? And Peter answered, yes, Lord. You know that I have great affection for you. Then take care of my lambs. Jesus said, Jesus repeats this question the second time. Simon, son of Jonah, you unstable son of a drunk, do you burn with love for me? Peter answered, yes, my Lord. You know that I have a great affection for you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Tell the Lord I said hello. <laughs> then Jesus asked him again. Then Jesus asked him again, 
Peter. Not, not Simon. Peter. Jesus went all the way back and got him where he was. And Jesus does it time and time again. Even though you run and you might want to revert, Jesus will all go all the way back to wherever you are. And he'll grab you, Simon, you're unstable, son of a drunk, and bring you all the way back because you are not an unstable son of a drunk. You are Peter. You are a rock. You are rock solid in Jesus Christ. Peter was, Peter, son of Jonah, do you have great affection for me? And Peter was saddened by asking the third time and said, my Lord, you know everything. You know that I burn with love for you. And Jesus replied, then feed my lambs and follow me. Peter was listening to all the wrong voices. He was supposed to be listening to the voice of Jesus Christ. Jesus was even popping in and out of rooms, hanging out with him for 40 days. And Peter's still listening to the wrong voices. And I'm telling you, if you listen to the wrong voices, you will have to live the rest of your life with those hopeless, dry bone situations in your life. You know, the first, you know one of the voices that I struggle You're going to think I need medication after this. You know one of the voices I struggle with more than anything else that gets me off track, is, and you can fill in the blank, is me. My own voice in my head. Me. Check out this verse. And we need to overcome the 2 Corinthians 10.5. We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. How many times have you allowed your mind and your own thoughts to tear you down? I, I raised my hand first, right? I mean, this is my... How many times does your mind get going... And you hear somebody preaching something like this, like, I'm preaching hope. I don't know if you realize that or not. I'm preaching hope. And somebody, you might be thinking, well, but you don't know what I've done. You're right. I don't know what you've done, and that's why your mind can tear you down quicker than anybody else's. Your thought, well, you don't know what I've done. You're right. I don't know what you've done. But I know this. God has incredible plans for you. God has amazing things for you. And you say, well, it's just not that. Let me help you out, sweetheart. Your life might right now be a dumpster fire. And it's your dumpster. And you're the one who filled it. And you're carrying the match that lit it on fire. And it doesn't matter how blazing your dumpster fire life is. There's nothing that's ablaze in your dumpster life that Jesus hasn't already cured. And you say, well, that sounds nice, but you still don't know what I've done. It must be your first time at South Point because you need to realize who you're sitting with. Welcome to South Point. In this room right now, I won't look directly in their eyes. I'll just go back and forth so no one says, he's really talking about me. We have formal drug, former drug addicts. We have former alcoholics. We have former rapists. We have one murderer. We have, um, let's see, liars, lots, gossips, former, former all these things. There are so many things, adulterers. Oh, that we have so many different former walks of life in this room, in this house, and they are all welcome because Jesus left the 99 to get them. You are welcome too. Let me read this. This is how Jesus sees you. You ready for this? Okay, I'm going to just pause for a second. I actually have time, so just pause for a second. Let this verse, every single... Thing that you've torn yourself down for the last time you sinned and messed up and you knew it was a sin. You knew it was. And you screwed up. And your mind tears you down and you think, well, I, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the motives of my heart. You don't. This is what God says about you right now. Right now. You ready for this? Romans chapter 5. Our faith in Jesus. Okay, so once you're, once you're in Jesus, our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us. 
And he now declares us flawless in his eyes. Ponder that for a minute, Batman. Well, you don't know what I've done. Guess what? Jesus ain't looking. I don't know if that's scriptural. I just read it. How about I trade it this way? Um, you don't know what I've just done. Okay, God's not looking. Why? Because when God looks at you, he sees his son Jesus, and Jesus is righteous and perfect. And so what Jesus has transferred to us is his righteousness. This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace, that turmoil that's in your mind. You don't have to have that. True and lasting peace with God, all because of what Jesus, the anointed one, has done for us. That is the best news ever. So when you start telling yourself how horrible you are, do yourself a favor and tell yourself to shut your pie hole. Yeah. That sounded very rude. I know. Here's the second one. So the first voice that always messes me up is me, my voice. The second voice that's wrong that we just need to get over is others. Other people have a way. If you want to feel beat up and insecure, jump online and read a few things. How many here, and you don't have to raise your hand because it would be everybody's hand, how many have ever been torn down by other people, right? How many people have ever been misunderstood by other people? You know when other people talk to you or about you, all they're doing is sharing their perspective of you, and their perspective is never the right perspective. I had a pastor, when we first moved here, we had only been here for like two years, and I had a pastor in town, but we're still friends. Um, we, we ended up at a... Uh, South Haven Chamber of Commerce luncheon thing. And we sit across from the table from each other, and we're, we're talking a little bit, and he says, hey, I listened to your, and this is two, this is, we've only been going for two years, so all we had was a podcast. He said, hey, I listened to your podcast of Sunday's message. I said, oh, okay, cool. He said, um, you know, your speaking style will never grow a church. Your speaking style is just not going to work. You've got way too much humor, and those funny voices you do, they're actually really annoying. You probably need to straighten it up a little bit. He just kind of, you know, and he finished, and I said, thanks. If it's any consolation, I haven't listened to any of your messages. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. I just said, okay, thanks. Here, can I tell you something? I've tried to speak like somebody else, and I can't do it. I realize it's just easier just to be me. And if you don't like me, then there's like 100 other churches in DeSoto County. And so it's just, it's just me. And so other people don't have the God perspective of you. Here's the cool thing. One year ago today, he called me. We were talking, and he said, hey, because we, we really are friends. He said, hey, man, I was, I was watching your service online, and I realized I need to add more humor into my messages. Can you help me? And I said, no. You be you. Why are we always trying to be somebody else when God created all of us to be so amazingly individual just like we are? Stop listening to other people trying to tell you that you need to be like them or like somebody else. You be you because you're the best Jesus thing that ever walked this planet. Okay, here's a, that was good preaching. All right, here's the third one. First one is my voice, messes me up. Second one is other people. And here's the third one, family. <clears throat> Buckle up. Especially since it's Easter, so families are sitting together. So right now, it's everybody's just like, eyes forward. Don't look, don't move, don't flex, just sit there. <laughs> families. Families are tough, aren't they? Because families know us. Like, other people don't have the right perspective of us, but family actually 
does have a pretty good perspective of us because they know us like nobody else, right? Um, I, I was talking to a young girl, a teenager, oh, about eight, nine months ago, and um, she was struggling. She messed up. She did some stupid things like teenagers tend to do. Um, by the way, if you have teenagers in here, when your teenagers mess up, before you want to destroy them, think to yourself what you would have done when you were a teenager. That usually gives, makes us have a little more grace, doesn't it? Anybody? Imagine how your life would be different if when you were a teenager, everybody was walking around with a recording device. I praise God that that was not during my youth. Just saying, just saying. So I, I was talking to this young lady, and she had messed up. I mean, she really did. She did some stupid stuff. And her parents did this. They told her, I can't believe you did that. Since you did that, you will never amount to anything. You're worthless. We'll love you. You can stay living here. But that just shows what kind of life you're going to have. Now, my first response was, please give me your address so I can go kill your parents. That was not a good pastoral response. I've never met the parents, but I do know this. That young lady found Jesus Christ right here. She found a South Point family that loves her just as she is and has taught her that God has a bigger view of her than anybody else and that we're not defined by our mistakes. Her mistakes don't define her, not at all, even though her parents might remind her continually. Mistakes don't define us. They don't. Family. This is how Jesus made us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We've become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given us. Listen, pause for just a second. You can leave that scripture right up there because I'm coming right back to it. You have a destiny. You have a destiny. It doesn't matter how old you are. This scripture says you have a destiny. Just like Peter had a destiny, you have a purpose in life. You say, well, I'm too old. No, you're not. Well, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my destiny is. Here's how you find your purpose and your destiny. Most of the time, you look at the pile of dry bones because wherever the pile of dry bones is is usually where your destiny is because the enemy wants to attack your destiny more than anything else. He'll put all of his energy and all of his effort into destroying your destiny because he knows that if you step into your destiny, his kingdom will suffer and the kingdom of God will advance. So what's my destiny? I don't know. Where's your biggest struggle? Where's your, right now, where's your biggest pile of bones? Where's your hopelessness? Where have you given up the dust from that dream and that destiny that you swept into the back closet of the closet in your soul and you've turned the light off and forgotten about it and today Jesus is stepping forward and saying, I still have enough living water to resurrect that dream. Doesn't matter if he has to resurrect a body or pour water on dry bones, my God is able. He's not short of miracles. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter what anybody says about you. It doesn't matter what you say about yourself because I know this. I know what he says about you. And you are more than a conqueror. There is nothing that can destroy you. There's nothing that can tear you down when you put your life in him. And that's why he walked into a tomb. And he's still, to this day, not short on miracles. He's still the one that's the bone doctor that can put your life together. No matter how decimated it is, there is still hope today. Can I pray with you right where you are? Will you just bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute? Heavenly Father, I love you. Lord, I thank you so much. Lord, today we just celebrate your resurrection, that you came back to life. 
And we thank you for that, Lord. That changes everything. That's a game changer. Lord, right now, those people that are here, watching online, they know that area of hopelessness. They already have a relationship with you. They're, they're, They're walking with you, but they've given up on a dream. They've given up on a destiny. They've given up because it was just so difficult. They didn't see life. They didn't see the water of living water in that. They didn't see that, but today, Lord, I just ask that you pour your life into those dry areas in them. That you, today, Easter Sunday, April 4th, 2021, that you bring new life to those dreams and destinies that have been decimated in their hearts for years. Father, let them just have new joy, new excitement, new peace. Let them know today is the day. It is written down in my journal. Today's the day that I'm going after this dream and destiny again because it has been ordained by God. Still pray with your eyes closed, your head bowed, you're here today, and you don't have a relationship with him. You don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It was based on fear for so long, and that's why it was just clunky. It didn't work. You're constantly struggling. There's no peace in your life. There's no peace in your life because you don't have Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, in a relationship with you. It's super easy because he did all the work. He did everything for us. He died on the cross for our sins. He came back to life on the third day, and he's walking with us right now. He's living in our hearts right now. If you're ready to start a relationship with him today, I want to pray with you right where you are. Not going to embarrass you, not going to call you down front. That is not what this is about. This is just, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a second, and I'm going to count because you're never alone. You're in a great place. You're in a great place. You're never alone. And I'm going to count your hands, and then I'm going to pray for you. But if that's you, Right now, you ready to start a relationship with Jesus Christ? Come on, put your hand up. Put it up. Hold it up. I'm counting. I'm looking at you. You're not alone. Come on, just hold it up for a second. In confidence and faith. One, two, three, four, five, six. Father, I thank you for these six amazing people. I thank you for their commitment to just step forward and to start a relationship with you. Father, I ask that you do exactly what your word said. You said in Romans 9 and 10 that if we would just confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, that means that they're going to start telling everybody, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And that if we would believe in our heart that you came back to life on the third day, that we would be saved. So, Father, from their confession and their belief, save them. Start a brand new relationship with them. And then, Father, I ask that you do a continual amazing thing. Let your Holy Spirit move into their life. Let them feel you and sense you. Let them experience you. This is not just a contract thing. It's a relationship with the King of Kings. We thank you for that, Father. We thank you that we have the opportunity to do that. We thank you that you have made us righteous in the Father's sight. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us today. I am glad that you're here. Okay, stand with me, if you will, while you're standing. Let me remind you that you can go out there and you can do the confessions of a servant. Bless me, Father, for I have served. And then you can also go on the other side of the lobby and there's a photo area where you can take photos with your families and all that. And then also if you're interested in plugged in, that's in the chapel. And so that's going to start right after this. Go out these doors into the lobby and turn left and you'll see a sign for the chapel. And you just walk up the ramp and it's right there, okay? Let me say this before we dismiss. 
If you're one of those amazing six people that just gave your heart to the Lord, that just started that, listen, there's a free book down here called Fresh Start. It's completely free. It's going to give you some great next steps in your spiritual journey. If you, if you don't want prayer, that's totally cool, but at least come get the book. It'll help you, okay? And then if anybody needs prayer for anything, um, there are people down front on both sides that would love to pray with you and connect with you and help you through any difficult situation. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's also communion elements down front on both sides that you're more than welcome to take communion today. Okay, let me pray the benediction and we will move on. Heavenly Father, right now, we just ask that the words of our mouth, the meditations in our heart, Lord, they'll be acceptable in your sight. You're our Lord, you're our strength, and you are our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Easter, everybody. Love you.